0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show
1: description to support now.
0: Hello and welcome to the Raw Makers Podcast. The one stop shop for courage, confidence and mindset building. Also bringing you all the aspects of mental health awareness, business and entrepreneurship. We are your hosts, Adam Ellis and Jason Borman of the Raw Makers Coaching. Well, today we've got a very, very special guest. Um, she's an up and coming coach, uh, soon to be accredited with the Coaching Masters and launching her coaching business very, very soon. Um, she spent the last 20 years in education um, as a teacher. Working her way up through the ranks, you know, all the way up to head teacher, and now she helps teachers fight the stress and burnout of their very demanding job and profession. Um, so that, without further ado, here is Suzanne B. Welcome, hello there, hi, hello, hello there, yeah, so. That was like a short introduction there, so I don't know if you want to kind of elaborate on um, who you are and what you're all about from your kind of point of view, and yeah, and which parts you want to elaborate on.
1: Absolutely, so I embarked on my teaching journey over 20 years ago as a class teacher in a school in Merseyside. I then moved around a couple of schools, was literacy lead, deputy head teacher, assistant head teacher. Um, I then relocated to London six years ago and was appointed deputy head and then subsequently um, head teacher at a quite a big inner city um, primary school in the centre of London. Um, I was head there. Um, I was sort of. Staff of, of nearly 100, nearly 300 children. Um, and then suddenly I decided in October that actually I needed a complete new direction and a change in career. And so I resigned from my post as head teacher, and the rest is history. Um, took on an accreditation at uh, the coaching, coaching masters and now I am about to launch my very own business as a mindset coach, helping teachers with who are feeling overwhelmed, stressed, just by the daily demands of the profession um, and helping them really to regain confidence, regain self-belief to unlock their true potential in the classroom.
0: Amazing, so needed. I think because I know a few teachers personally, and yeah, they're always saying how stressed out they are and like how much is placed on them. You know, Mark, how many hours you guys have to work, you know, even outside school hours and things like that. And um, my hat goes off to you, because, you know, it's (laughs) not easy kind of doing that.
1: Absolutely. And I think in particular, it's been a really tough, what, two and a half years with COVID, you know, myself and all my colleagues have worked all the way through through the COVID pandemic, um, so that on top of everything else, it's been a couple, you know, it's been a tough couple of years for the teaching profession, but you know, as you say, you know, juggling so many plates as a teacher, not only have you got, you know, planning, marking, delivering lessons, but also, you know, for many of us, we have families at home too. So I think for many teachers, it's about that work-life balance that they really find difficult, um, you know, and come to a point where actually, am I giving 100% to my profession and am I giving 100% to my family? And for many teachers, that is a huge stress and a huge burden to carry. So I think for me, it's just about coaching those teachers to think about shifting that mindset And thinking about their values and where their values lie in order to really consider that work-life balance. And I think it's not necessarily about giving up teaching. You know, teaching for many of us is a vocation. It's not that we want to leave teaching. It's just about us having that work-life balance so that we can be an outstanding teacher, but also give the time to our families that we really need to.
0: So if I was to ask you, like, what needs to be done to, like, the school system and with the with regards of, like, the curriculum and what gets placed onto teachers, what do you feel needs to be changed? Because in a way, school is still very much in a Victorian era, you know, training, you know, people to kind of work in a factory, basically, and, you know, it was basically work towards working in a factory and um now the requirement you know the war days are over hopefully (laughs) (laughs) um but in in those sort of times I mean like the industrial kind of age you know where factories were massive and that's what you did when you left school you went to go and work in a factory or on the railways or something of of that kind of nature and um Yeah, so what do you feel needs to kind of be done or what can be done, do you think?
1: I think speaking personally from my experience, having had 20 years in the teaching profession, there has been a real shift with regards to children who have suffered from trauma, especially given COVID um, and the pandemic. So we are seeing more and more children who need to access um, support with regards to mental health who um, have either suffered from trauma for whatever reasons, whether that's down to um, dysfunctional families or experiences outside of home or or experiences just within today's society. On top of that, we've also seen COVID and the impact that that has had on children, having to spend, well, the first lockdown was, was, what, four months locked up inside. And especially in London, where, you know, most of our children live in in flats, you know, so not having the ability to go out and play in the garden, being locked up in a flat and really sometimes, you know, really small accommodation has had a massive impact on our children's mental health. So for me, and I know it's a high priority for the government, for me, it's about investing real money in real time in services to support children's well-being, mental health, and those children who have suffered from significant trauma in their lives. And that is what we're seeing more and more of in the education um, profession. Not only are we teachers, but we're becoming social workers. Sometimes we're kind, we think we're kind of we're doctors, we're trying to assess children. We've got so many different hats and that in itself can be really stressful within a day
0: yeah i can imagine it's one of the reasons i take my hat off to you because i know it can't be easy kind of you know wanting to give children that individual attention but obviously having to kind of deal with a whole classroom full of children who learn differently you know who behave differently who you know socialize and interact differently um must be really challenging kind of like handling all those kind of needs so Looking back on how, in your teaching career, like what kind of stands out for you in terms of like um, what went well within your kind of classroom setups and what, what you think kind of did, yeah.
1: Um. So I think throughout the 20 years of, of my teaching career, if I think kind of within the national agenda, for me, the first highlight was back in oh, the late nineties with uh, uh, something called the Rose report, which Mm -hmm. was all about children learning um, to read through a system of synthetic phonics. So the government introduced phonics, which is a way in which children can read. And that changed the education system and the way in which children learn to read immensely. It meant that children learn to read through phonological awareness. Um, And so the results in reading and became much stronger. Um, and so that had a massive impact on children's achievement uh, and children's ability to access books. So that was something that initially stood out for me within my teaching career was the Rose Report. Um, m- more recently, uh, what stood out for me is the um, of the new Offset framework. So Offset introduced a new framework a couple of years ago, and there was a real shift towards looking at a broad and balanced curriculum so previous to that there was lots of um, emphasis on SAT results on maths and english um, and that basically was the focus when a school was was had an inspection from ofsted however along with the new framework ofsted realized that actually our children need a broad and balanced curriculum they need to to look at history geography the wider world. And it needs to fit into the context of the school. So for example, the school that I worked in, in in inner city London, 95% of our children were from um, Bay minorities. And so we had to adapt our curriculum to to suit our cohort of children. And we worked really hard on, on really building a bespoke curriculum. So when children looked at history, there was black representation, there was Asian representation, but they opened the reading books in the library. There was black representation, Asian representation. We also had lots of children who were disabled. um, And so we had to think about the way in which that was integrated into our curriculum and the way the children could see themselves. It was kind of that mirror image. So that when they accessed the curriculum, they could see themselves in the curriculum. And that is really, really powerful for a child to see themselves in the the curriculum because it gives them real purpose. So that was a kind of another real milestone. The first one was the Rose Report. The second one for me um, was um, the new framework curriculum where Ofsted decided to look at that broad and balanced curriculum. Yeah,
0: that's amazing.
1: With regards um, kind of highlights for me, one of the biggest highlights was becoming a trauma-informed school. So with the increase in children suffering from adverse life experiences, we embarked on something called trauma-informed training, which is becoming more and more popular throughout the UK now, given the amounts of children who suffer from trauma. And that was completely kind of life-changing, not only for our staff, but for our children, because it allowed us to understand why children behave in a certain way. Mm -hmm. It's not simply because they're being naughty, it's because very often, you know, by lashing out or walking out of the classroom, it's their way of communicating that something isn't right in their life. It could and be so,
0: lots of things, that, isn't it? Like, you know, it could be the child's under challenge, you know, because a piece of work gets given to every member of the classroom, you know, complete this, and, you know, kids are sat there and bored if they're kind of more advanced than other children. Or on the flip side of that, they might struggle with it and then lose interest. So
1: uh, absolutely, you know, I think I think to have that, you know, that that clear differentiation in class, your more able children need to be challenged. And, and your less able children also need to be challenged because it's not about giving up on our less able children. In fact, for me, our less able children really need to have additional support and additional challenge because they need that extra extra bit of TLC and that extra bit of support to very often break that life cycle.
0: Yeah, so it's like uh, if, you, if you're if you blessed to have a TA in your classroom, like you know, having a table with like um, those children who need that little bit of extra support and then obviously the teacher then stands at the front and delivers to the wider class and you've got that pile of extra kind of stuff for the more able children that get it done quick so that they you know they're still continually challenged throughout the lesson so, yeah that's kind of yeah so similar for when i was like an instructor as well um doing my my work there would be people who were less or more able and you'd have to find different ways to challenging them and you know keeping them engaged um, So, yeah, like, again, amazing work. Um, My hat goes off to all the teachers and to yourself, like, um, for that profession. It's not an easy one to get into. It's not an easy one to then work through, you know, especially for 20 years. So, well done for that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, And, yeah. Sort of like, so, this coaching, you know, like, what is, What is it about it that drew you in?
1: Um, I think being a teacher for so long, I think it's kind of part of a teacher's nature to want to help other people and whether that's supporting children, supporting families, because that's part of our role as well. We're not just there to support our children. For our children to come into school feeling equipped to learn, they need to have a happy home environment. So it's not only about supporting our children, our role extends to our families too. And so, you know, having had 20 years of of helping children, supporting families, supporting teachers, supporting different agencies, yes, I wanted to have a new direction in, in my life and in my career. However, I wanted to continue to help people. And, you know, to be quite honest, Jason, teachings in my blood you know it, it's it's all that I know you know I, that's all I've ever done and so when I embarked on uh, my coaching accreditation um, it kind of come naturally to me that my niche would be around teachers and helping teachers because I've been on both sides of the coin I, I you know I was a teacher for a long long time a classroom teacher you know for over 15 years, I worked in the classroom with classes of 30, even above 30. And then on the flip side, so I understood the pressures of a teacher having to have planning in, having to have marking, you know, having lesson observations, having your books scrutinized, having parents' evenings. But then also, as I moved into senior leadership and become a head teacher, I also recognized the pressures of a head teacher and the accountability of having your teachers who are outstanding teachers and making impact in the classroom. So I kind of understand both um, kind of, you know, the situation of a class teacher, but also that of a head teacher. And so, and I also feel compassion towards teachers and head teachers both have a very tough job. And so it came kind of naturally for my niche in coaching to, 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 to be around supporting teachers Um, And, you know, if if you talk to most teachers, you will find that the pressures and the stresses of the job on a daily basis is something that they need support with. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that really is down to mindset and shifting that mindset and really identifying their values, um, you know, and embarking on a piece of work with them. So, That's kind of a little bit about what um, I'm
0: hoping to do now. Yeah. Would you you say that's kind of like a gap then, you know, a gap in the market? You know, how how much support was there for teachers, you know, like in general, like the sound, you have a sounding board to kind of, you know, get some of those things that are pent up inside of them, you know, off their chest, like... Mm.
1: I mean, I think coaching has become more and more popular within the education system this past couple of years, and certainly for head teachers, I was given the opportunity to have to have a coach. Um, what actually is quite interesting that is that now teachers who are on teacher training courses, or as we call them, early career teachers, teacher training courses have now recognised the importance and the power of coaching. And they've actually integrated that into teacher training so now all our teachers who are on that training to become teachers have the opportunity to deliver coaching to 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 learn the mechanics of coaching um and to 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 recognize the importance of it and the power it can have which is a really great move however for me this seems to i've identified that gap in the middle of those teachers who are feeling bogged down but plod on each day. And there's hundreds, if not thousands of teachers who are feeling overwhelmed day in, day out, day in, day out, love the job, love the family, but continue to plod on. So for me, it's about those hardworking teachers who plod on every single day who just need that little bit of additional support.
0: Adam, do you have a question for Suzanne?
1: Like Jason said, my
0: hat's off to you and all the teachers out there. But what was it what made you want to be a teacher?
1: <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> that's a really good question, actually. Um, OK, then. So the truth um, is that um, I... I was really lucky, so I, um, I have a daughter and um, I went to university. I did a degree in sociology. I left university, didn't quite know what to do, did some backpacking for a while, um, met my daughter's dad, who at the time was in um, a band in the 90s, um, did some touring with him for a while, Um, And then we separated and I found myself a single mom, um, living back home with my parents um, and basically not having a career. I had this degree in sociology, but what did I do with it? Um, I absolutely loved staying at home and being a full time mom with my daughter. And I was lucky enough to be able to do that whilst I was with um, her dad. And I wanted to try and continue to do that and balance both worlds. And so I come across the idea of being a teacher (laughs) because I thought, well, by being a teacher, it meant that yes, I could bring him an income. I could embark on on, on a career and a profession. However, I would have the opportunity to spend school holidays with my daughter at home. and so I returned to university and I did what's called a postgraduate um, degree in, in education in early years. And I qualified with my PGCE and I became a teacher. So that's really the story as to how I embarked on, on a profession. It wasn't, I can't lie and say, oh, I've always wanted to be a teacher since I was four. I didn't, I never knew, I never knew what I wanted to do with life. And I just found myself in this situation, single mom, Four-year-old daughter, not quite knowing what to do, needed to earn money. Wanted to spend time with my daughter, and thought, aha, teachers have good holidays. Let's have a go with that." And and the rest is history. <laughs> Never in a million years thought I'd end up as a head teacher. Um, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs>
0: so, what's kind of next for you on the journey?
1: Um. Okay, so next for me is establishing my um, coaching business. I want to get out there and coach as many teachers as possible. What I'd really like to do is extend uh, my coaching business and I would like to extend that into schools. So bringing coaching into schools, looking at how we can have coaching embedded in schools whereby all of the staff within a certain school are trained coaches. And therefore, they can then um, support each other, have training sessions, have coaching sessions within that school framework. So you really have a a self-supportive school improvement kind of network there within a school, which is a community supporting each other. So that's my long term vision for now. It's just about setting up my coaching business and getting as many clients uh, as I can, really.
0: Amazing, like NLP for one needs to be in schools.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: it's learning about the brain, learning how the brain works, you know, how everyone's experience is completely unique to them. And, you know, so when you're having conflicts and stuff and brilliance going on, NLP would be absolutely amazing for like changing some of those.
1: Absolutely, and I think just look at that school culture, You know very often teachers you know as we've talked about are burned out stressed but to have that community within a school setting whereby they're helping each other and they understand you know that NLP framework I think that would make for a really amazing school and a place to work but I think also it would allow them and we've talked very often about coaching children but it would allow them to support children with some of those really powerful questions to allow children to reflect. So not necessarily coaching children, but some of those questions would allow children to reflect on maybe the choices they've made. Um, so I, I think th- that is my long-term vision to have NLP in, in schools. Yeah,
0: I think that's amazing. Right. It's <laughs> so needed. I mean, even if they just bring it into the teacher training, you know, having a teacher training day where you just kind of learn NLP every month or something like that and yeah I think
1: absolutely
0: the teachers and then the teachers could filter it down into the students and um, yeah that be might be how it gets into schools like um, on a bit more of a wider sort of basis um, so that may be something that the you know the curriculum could look at and um, yeah an Ofsted maybe could look at you know
1: I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, I think we've got to respond to society. We've got to respond to society. And we're a very different society than what we were three years ago before the pandemic. We're a very different society than what we were 10 years ago. And I think that now it's about, and people have realized since the pandemic that actually we need to show empathy for each other. We need to show compassion and we need to start listening to each other. And that is so powerful. Um, and I think
0: that's the first step in the right direction. Absolutely, and um, it's like because there's a set of rules that go along with NLB. So one of them's like, you know, the person is not their behavior and things like that. So there's like several kind of rules and laws to kind of practice NLB um, viewing, like right? they so were viewing it with that sort of mindset and these rules. Um, and one of them is the person's not their behaviour. So things like that would be massive in schools, you know. The teacher's looking at yeah. why a behaviour is happening rather than just telling a student off for messing around and things like that. And,
1: and that really ties into the, the the trauma-informed training that I mentioned earlier on in, in, in the, the podcast whereby, you know, it's not about necessarily the choices that or the actions that you take on that particular day. It's about the build-up to why you're making those choices. Um, And very often the actions that people, especially children, take are a way of communicating. So, you know, a, a child or a young person may storm out of the classroom or they may slam a door, they may do whatever, But very often, that's because they can't articulate the way they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's their way of communicating. So I kind of think that whole trauma-informed practice, which is becoming very, very popular now as we see more and more children who've suffered from adverse life um, experiences and trauma, um, really kind of um, marry up and and complement the whole, NLP um, ethos as well. Um, So I think marrying the two up would be really powerful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's pretty much all we've got time for today. But um, just tell people, just on a final note, like where they can find you if they want to work with you, Um, like, and how they can reach out and find you, basically. So.
1: Thank you Jason, so my name is Suzanne Bates. I have uh, my own coaching company, I also have an Instagram account called the Teachers Mindset Movement, so you'll find me on Instagram and I also have a Facebook group of the same name. So come along, join my Facebook group, it's called the Teachers Mindset Movement and it's a safe and secure place where teachers can share their experiences and offer support and advice for each other.
0: Incredible. Thank you so much for coming on and at short notice as well. Like we love you, thank you very much. And let's finish this the way we always do. So let's draw on that courage. Build up that confidence let's get back our rules
1: thank you thank you very much thank you bye thank you